0: Hello, everyone. Thanks for checking out this special episode of Really Dicey. This is Manny, and I am here with...
1: Uh, hi, I'm Scott Dawood. Uh I'm a writer and podcaster. Uh, I record with these two retrobates, Matt and Paul, as the good friends of Jackson Elias. And we uh, have also done this book together, which we're here to talk about.
2: And I'm Paul Fricker, as Scott said. I'm... Um... We podcast together under the good friends Jackson Elias, and I write for Call of Cthulhu. I worked with Mike on 7th uh, edition Call of Cthulhu, and developed this book with Scott and Matt.
3: Uh, I'm Mike Mason. I'm the creative director for Call of Cthulhu at Chaosium, so I tend to uh, look after all the Call of Cthulhu lines, and this being one of the books in the line, I've helped to kind of shepherd the original edition, and now this new second edition of the book.
4: And I'm Matt Sanderson. So the uh, the third part of the trio of the good friends of Jackson Elias, and also a freelance writer who's written for,
0: for a fair few books for Call of Cthulhu now as well. And today we're going to talk about nameless horrors. Um, and I'm excited to talk to all of you because um, this is the what's in March. This will be coming out uh, 2023. And all of you have worked on the previous version that came out about, what, seven years ago, I would say. Um, mm. So that that's that's really fantastic. What exactly is this book? Chaosium has put out fantastic adventures. Uh, what exactly is the theme for this book? Exactly,
1: the idea of it was that we're all very experienced Call of Cthulhu players. Uh, Paul and I have been playing Call of Cthulhu since the eighties, and. Matt, not quite as long, but still for a fair old time. And we've played a lot of published material. We've written a lot of our own stuff. And one thing that we wanted to at least play with was the idea of trying to introduce new elements into the mythos. That There's quite often this this tendency, if you're writing a Call of Cthulhu scenario, to look through the existing monsters and gods and so on, and sort of think, oh, yeah, I can write a scenario based around this. But we wanted to give ourselves the creative constraint for this book of not using anything from the existing canon. Uh, The other constraint we gave ourselves was that there would be no expectation that the solution to the uh, the problems and the scenarios would be violence that you you can in a lot of cases go for the classic Call of Cthulhu tommy guns and dynamite and fire solutions but at the same time there's you know these are designed to be very adaptable to however the players decide to approach them
2: And these are six scenarios that bridge quite a lot of the different uh, periods for Call of Cthulhu. So it goes from, I think I'm right, Matt, you've got one in gaslight, haven't you? Uh,
4: Two gaslight ones.
2: They're both gaslight. Okay. And then we go uh, into the 20s, I think 30s as well, Mm -hmm. as well as modern day. Um, And everything you need is there ready to play because they come with... um, uh, characters that you can download, investigators that you can download from Chaosium uh, and all the handouts and so on. So they're kind of, uh, you know, they're very much like ready to run.
0: I'm really intrigued about the the themes of this book. What is everyone's philosophy when it comes to horror? Then? Do you feel that um, sometimes updates have to be made for your games, or or do you feel that maybe game masters need uh, more tools for horror? Uh, what, what's everyone's thoughts concerning this book?
3: Call of cthulhu is a very kind of broad church in terms of what makes a good scenario and many different things can make many different good scenarios uh, and often you know scott alluded to earlier uh often call of cthulhu historically has been you know a bit of a creature feature in some cases some some scenarios are very much be- built around the monster and uh you know trying to tackle you know the monster's kind of um you know appearance in in you know the investigations investigators world uh, other times, you know, there's no monsters in the cult of Cthulhu scenario. It could be a could be the effects of strange magics or dimensions and 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 so on, or even just down to kind of human, or the human level in terms of you know uh, bad guys in terms of you know human cultists who are doing bad things that the investigators have to stop. So it, it does have a, it's a broad church in terms of what makes a scenario in terms of what you know what the antagonists are in a scenario, uh, but I you know it wouldn't be called a Cthulhu without Cthulhu, so monsters obviously do play a, a key role often. Um, and um, what I think this book brings is to kind of exemplify, and it kind of almost, um, it, it well, it, it preempted the, the new edition of Malleus Monsters. Because obviously, the original version of this book came out, you know, some years ago, uh, and it kind of showed that you you don't need to use, you know, the, the the run-of-the-mill monsters all the time. You can actually just do something new. Obviously, when Malice came out, you know, a, a couple of years back, there's a lot of kind of material in there to help people kind of, you know, advice in terms of if you want to design your own monster, here's how you could do it, um, and so it's kind of almost like full circle. And so, well, here's here's some that these guys made. You know, they, they, you know, they took the kind of the tools that were there in terms of what is the mythos and, and what you know what monsters kind of work well in a scenario. And I think what's interesting in this book is the the range of monsters effectively, the range of kind of antagonists in this is very broad. It's not just, they're not all kind of tentacle horrors lying in the lying in the cellar. There are very different kind of um, monsters, you know, using that broad term. Um, and probably best for me to show up and let the guys um, speak about, you know, their own kind of creations in that way. So, I don't know, Matt, do you want to, as you, you have the, the oldest scenarios in the book in terms of chrono- chronologically, you know, doing the kind of the two gaslight ones. Your, your uh, monsters are quite different in the sense that it might be worth you leading up I guess
4: yeah I mean I tried to think going back to one of the core uh, focuses that we had when we were discussing okay what, what should the creatures or monsters in this not be and as Scott alluded to they can't be things that are saved by or destroyed by my favourite and every investigator's best friend dynamite <laughs> so you can't blow it up you have to have some other way to solve this thing So I tried to think of more abstract problems. Um, My first scenario, um, An Amaranthine Desire, was born out of the idea of, well, what if a place is odd, so there's something malevolent about that? It's not, you can't, in Gaslight here, it's not exactly you can drop a H-bomb on it, but it's something that's a bit too big for you to deal with. And then in Message of Art, the second one, the uh, one set in uh, Gaslight Paris, what if it's... Something very more like a concept that is completely abstract. And it's almost going back to that adage of, well, how'd you kill? You can't kill an idea. And uh, riffing on some quite um, concepts that I've uh, got inspired by the works of Nigel Neal that thought about, well, what if this particular thing that sets humanity apart from the rest of the mythos is actually something alien in its own right? And just expanded upon it from there.
2: So in my two scenarios, the one I've got in the 20s is very much um, a kind of small town. I mean, I've said small town America in the book, uh, but it could be a small town anywhere, I guess. Um, and it kind of kicks off somewhat in media res. It's just a, a town where strange things start to happen. And it's, see, it's got a very kind of Twilight Zone inspired um feel i i hope is is kind of the yeah the goal i was going for um and yes yeah, it's, it's about a town where people begin behaving strangely and obviously there's a reason for that and the characters are members of the town yeah you know they're townspeople and they've got relationships with many of the npcs and that's quite important uh, in this scenario that i think this scenario particularly for me it's, it's the investigators are you know the pre-generated investigators are quite important in this one um and their relationships with the various townspeople and that kind of draws them in i don't often start with a monster i mean you were asking about monsters and so on i don't I don't start with a monster as often i sort of start with the situation and then sometimes just stick a monster on you know not not stick it on but you know just kind of think well how does that manifest and you know if this is going to be called it could be any monster it could be any anything and and i i look at the what's in call of cthulhu and perhaps bring something in from that uh, but here obviously we're talking about nameless horrors so it's really um in this scenario this is uh i'm talking about um and some fell on stony ground it's really an influence that comes in as an influence something is influencing the townspeople to behave in this strange way in the modern day one it's very much more and it's called Moonchild. um it's very much more a domestic situation uh, a domestic situation gone badly wrong but it starts off quite mundanely and and the the, the kicker for it is really i think this time is past now But there was a time probably, well, when I wrote it, say, 10 years ago, when people were coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh, hi, you know, I used to be a, you know, do you remember me? We were at school together or we were at college together. Um, And I don't think people do that so much now because people have already made those connections or you're growing up with a bunch of people and they're already on social media. But there was that time when people were reaching out. So you get in a group of people who didn't have a shared recent history but they had a shared distant history from say 20 years before and they've been out of touch for all that time and now one of them is reaching out to their old friends and bringing them all back together in a cafe to meet them and explain their uh, dire situation to them and then they want some help Uh, and this help you know which hopefully the investigators are, are willing to give brings them into contact with this strange domestic situation and then that kind of escalates into uh into the rest of the moon child scenario
1: yeah with my two scenarios they both share a bit of a theme in that one thing that fascinates me about the mythos one thing that I think sets it apart from a lot of other horror settings is that the entities of the mythos aren't necessarily what we consider to be evil that they're more Neutral things, or at least things that exist outside human concepts of morality. But where you get humans who interact with them and perhaps find ways to draw upon their power, that's where the potential for evil or malevolence really comes in. And with the first scenario, Bleak prospect. I I also wanted to explore the idea of social isolation, because I think isolation is really important in horror, and most of the time it's physical isolation. But here, the player characters are all people living in a shantytown in a Hooverville during the Great Depression, and are cut off from the larger community by poverty and by social stigmatization. And I wanted to put them in a horrible situation where they were perhaps being preyed upon by more powerful forces and were unable to call upon the larger community for help, which I think is probably the very essence of horror. And um, yeah, I mean, it, they, there are a lot of monsters in it, don't get me wrong, but the monsters to me weren't the the scary part, or at least not initially. And uh, similarly with uh, the second scenario, The Space Between, um, again, I, I sort of wanted to play with stuff there. And the, the player characters this time are all members of a church, which some outsiders might consider to be a cult, who are very heavily involved in the film industry in Hollywood, and who uh, find themselves having to do progressively perhaps more and more unpleasant thing to try things to try to save the film production that they're on and you know it almost becomes as far as i'm concerned a bit like the milgram experiment as to you know how far you can push the player characters in this before they think oh hang on are we the bad guys so is
0: this book similar to um the the matches book that came out a few years ago and the uh, the harvest book that came out last year in the sense that these are all separate adventures you can connect them if you wish uh, there are options for that but these are all separate adventures and different locations different times
3: yeah they're very much they are very much separate scenarios in, in terms of being standalone they are they are they are in a sense they they probably work best as, as one shots and, and each scenario comes with its own set of pre-generated investigators and that kind of hardwired into the scenario to some degree some some more more so with certain scenarios um it, it would be possible to kind of you know bring your existing group of investigators to the scenarios potentially but would require a bit more work and they wouldn't be so hardwired into the into the kind of the motivations behind the scenario. So they do work very well as as kind of one shots in that sense. Um, but certainly um, the, the the main reason why they wouldn't work well as a, well, don't work very easily as a campaign because they are set across different time periods. So uh, there are two set in the kind of a, a late 1800s, two then set in the kind of a 1920s, 30s and two in modern day. So in technically, there's no reason why, if you didn't, if you wanted to, you couldn't kind of sub-connect them. So the two 1800s, in theory, you could find a way to work them together. The two kind of in the 1920s and 30s and the, the modern day, theoretically, you could. But there's, but they don't. They're not really intended to work in that in the, in that way. They are very much, um, you know, your your play for this evening, for a number of evenings, uh, and then 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 move on to a, a different scenario, kind of thing.
1: Personally, I, I think one-shots like that are quite underrated as a gaming experience. People, I think, naturally gravitate towards campaigns and you know want to have characters go through multiple scenarios. But I think that there's something potentially more intense about a good one-shot in that you are perhaps playing with characters who you're not so convinced they got to survive the experience or at least get out of it without some kind of hideous long-term consequences. And I think that gives everyone permission to treat it more as a horror movie, that instead of it feeling like an ongoing episodic TV program or a serial or something like that, here you do have this thing of, you know, is anyone going to get out of this alive? Let's play and see what happens. So uh so for anyone that has
0: uh purchased and looked at the previous um uh the the uh the older version of the nameless horrors uh what are some of the the, the big changes that you that you've done to these stories uh, it looks like these are the exact same stories from the the uh uh for the previous book
3: that, that's right i mean mainly um it was a kind of unfortunate kind of situation of timing with the original version um it came out um, what you might want to loosely term as the older version of Chaosium, uh, and so it came out as a softback, um, single color, black and white, um, you know, book. Um, and literally, you know, just a few months later, the kind of the new version of Chaosium kind of arrived, uh, and all of our kind of Call of Duty books then were coming out as predominantly hardbacks, uh, color. Um, and you know, with more kind of investment in the art and the the layout and the uh, the maps and so on, and this book unfortunately kind of fell between the two, and so um, it was always a desire from 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 my part to kind of to give it the kind of the the upgraded you know version, as it were, that we'd done with everything subsequently. So it was a chance to come back and revisit the book um, and. So in a sense, the the, the difference is, is that the scenarios are the same. They are the same scenarios. The difference is um it's now far back, it's full color, all of the art has been redone, uh, all of the maps and player handouts have been redone. And uh, as a consequence of having the opportunity to obviously to put out the second edition, um, we were able to, you know, myself and, and the authors were able to kind of review the text. Um uh, Correct a few still, you know, typos and a few things that we haven't quite got right the first time, uh, and so on, and just um, basically, you know, um, give the text a, a bit of a finesse where where possible. Um, but effectively, it's you know the same, you know, great scenarios, but just presented in a more attractive and and um, uh, useful way in a sense, with a lot more uh, additional material that we now provide with care's in books. So along with the book. You get the, you know, you get the map packs for the players. You get the map packs for the keeper and the handouts. You get the the NPC artwork as a series of, you know, um, PDFs. So if you are playing with VTTs or printing them out at the table, you've got those um, NPC art and things like that you can now use that people tend to make more use of these days. Um, so all of that is now included, which wasn't really part of the old book in that sense. So it's uh, kind of a bit more bells and whistles, I guess, is a way to, to look at it.
0: Uh, and, and to the writers, uh, and I, and I apologize in advance because this is really an unfair question. Um, uh, without spoiling your stories, um, is there anything? I mean, as as someone who's written a few things myself here and there, I always, no matter how much praise you get, I always look at my stories as imperfect. No matter what, <laughs> and uh, I and I, for I hear other writers feel the same way sometimes. So now that you had a chance to kind of look back at your stories and 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 uh, and rewrite them in a sense, or at least certain parts, uh, was there any? What can you share when it came to do the changes that you made without spoiling it, it unless you wish to spoil it?
1: Um, I mean, personally, I didn't really change any of the content. the The only significant change, I think. To, bother of mine was just a correction that there were some missing stat blocks from the original version that we fixed in this new one but fundamentally it's it's exactly the same text
2: yeah i mean it was interesting looking back at these scenarios i mean although they're only written like well published seven years ago it's kind of written eight nine ten years ago um it's hard to put my finger on what but i I kind of feel like the scenarios that i write now are a little different um just Mm -hmm. i guess as a gamer you don't usually freeze what you if you know unless you're publishing it what you're what you were doing 10 years ago or 20 years ago doesn't get frozen in time for you to be able to look at it again you know in the in the present day Um, so it's interesting to look at these scenarios and yeah i just feel oh yeah i I enjoy these scenarios they're a little different to like say what i might do now and um i'm not quite sure if i can express how um but yeah as as scott said we didn't and mike said we didn't change a great deal it's really going through it and seeing um if there are any little errors or um anything that can just be you know made clearer in the wording and so on uh so it's just a, a polish um, a polish up, really? Yeah,
0: yeah,
4: yeah. Going kind back of echoing what the others have said, there wasn't any major major changes, but it was certainly a a trip down memory lane, seeing how we did things uh, a good few years ago compared to how I do it now. Yeah, are you, are
2: you able to say what the difference is, Matt? Because I, I, I kind of struggle with that. But you know, you like you said, it's a trip, a little bit of a trip down memory lane. Do you do you think you'd if you were writing them now, do you think you'd write them differently?
4: I probably would have maybe structured them slightly differently, but the content would I essentially be the same? Yeah, but yeah, maybe some of the structure would be slightly different, and maybe some of the wording would be uh, slightly different, but otherwise, it's the the core of the idea is what makes it those scenarios.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think, I mean, I stand by them. I think um, yeah, they uh, I'm very pleased with them. Yeah, I think yeah, thing to good. add that
3: we don't often say is that these have stood the test of time. You know, they've been out there mm. in the world for seven years um you know with the original edition and obviously people have played them and read them and so on um and um you often you know when we you know any game publisher puts books out obviously there's reviews and and people emailing in about things we got wrong or things all things they liked and so on and um and these these have consistently been very popular scenarios. You know, often you know uh, you, you look on forums and people asking for scenario recommendations. Often you know one of the you know, you know they're they're traveling around for a gaslight era scenario or a modern day one of you know one of these will pop up and and you know likewise with 1920s and so on. The names will pop up every now and again. So clearly there's a there's a, a popularity to them, and um, so it's it's nice to be able to kind of. You know, give them a new coat of paint effectively but put out what are mm. already very strong scenarios uh, and put them back out into the world especially at this point where we have a you know um, more and more people playing Call of Cthulhu every year um, mm. who you know weren't around seven years ago playing Call of Cthulhu are coming to these fresh and as, as new players so it's nice to be able to uh, to put these in back into their hands effectively.
1: And I think, I think uh, as well, one of the things that's kept them current is the fact that they've seen quite a lot of play on um, on YouTube and on actual play podcasts. Uh, I, I was delighted to see, for example, the Glass Cannon Network running Bleak Prospect a little while back as their introduction to Call of Cthulhu. Mm. And that, that was a fantastic playthrough.
4: Mm. Likewise, I think it was uh, Josephine McAdam ran... Uh, message of art for the calyx uh, group that um good time society uh, brought together um and she, she did quite a lot of work around the uh the production of it as well that she she researched the group involved with the scenario one of their members was a musician and herself knowing how to play the piano played some of the um some of the tunes that that uh, musician had written to <laughs> accompany the playthrough as background music thought wow this is dedication that even i don't go to <laughs> when i when i
2: run this stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's great seeing people run things that that you know you've written, and yeah, you know, when they do that, it's like, oh wow, this is uh, this is this is more elaborate than, than when I ran it. Yeah, it's great. It's great what people do with the uh, the scenarios. Uh,
0: what about the art? It would now that um, I have books now uh, over. 200 pages, and there's uh, every, even the design itself is, which I, I love the design with the Call of Cthulhu books, and now that that's this book has now adapted to that design. what did you have any input on the art whatsoever? Anything new or, um, anything like that?
3: We we uh, approached uh, um, well six new artists effectively. Some some artists we worked with um for a long time in on Call of Cthulhu people like Pat Leboiko. Um, but um, but uh, we also wanted to try and bring in you know work with some newer artists as well. So uh, there's Celine De- uh, Davis, Emmanuel Desiati, Irene uh, Kano, Lee Simpson, and Nicholas Gray, who are relatively, one might say, newcomers to Call it Cthulhu. They have done a bit of work, and and some of them, uh, some of their some of them some of their art features in the Cults of Cthulhu book. But um, this was uh, what we wanted to do was kind of give each one one scenario so they could really kind of get into the the kind of the the flesh of the scenario and and produce it and obviously they're quite different art styles being you know six different artists and so um you know art it's a very subjective thing (laughs) and some people prefer certain styles more than others so it is a mix um which in a sense I kind of like because the 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 book is a mix of scenarios Mm. you know they're very different scenarios uh from three very different authors so the art kind of Underpins that to some degree as well by presenting, you know, quite different art styles across the scenarios, but hopefully captures, you know, uh, the the yeah you know the heart of the scenario in the art as well. But that's, um, you know, art is a an interesting process. It's always you're never quite sure what you're going to get back. You hope, you know, you hope to uh, to see what you want to see, and, and you know, you normally do. So it's it's uh, some really interesting art in this book as well.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And, and if I, oh, I I, sorry, I love. The, I, oh, sorry. I was just going to oh. say I love the artwork in the new book, but I also yeah. I, I mean, it's yeah. You know, we we've you know, You've obviously updated the art for the color layout and so on, but I still also have a real soft spot for the the original artwork, the the cover and the interior artwork in the the previous edition as well. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's probably worth pointing out that you know the the update isn't because that artwork was bad in any way I no. John White did a fantastic job with the internal artwork but it is black and white so it doesn't fit the new layout
3: and there's also that kind of thing call of Cthulhu being a game that's over 40 years old you know um and a game that is backwards compatible um it, it, people you know pick up older versions of the books all the time and still use yeah. them so I think you know having You know, the older version still stands on its own two feet as a very, you know, very uh, attractive in that way. Um, And this doesn't diminish that, it it just adds to it effectively.
0: Well, excellent. Um, Thank you for sharing all this. Um, Is there anything I haven't asked you about concerning this book that you wanted to share? Um... It's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: As as I sort of mentioned in passing, people are interested in hearing any of the scenarios played uh i know matt and i for example have run uh, a fair few of them on different actual play podcasts matt with into the darkness and me with uh ain't slate nobody and how we roll and oh and pretending to be people as well Uh, i ran a bleak prospect for them uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of opportunities if you want to try before you buy or, you know, even just hear how we run our own stuff.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good, valid point, because um, often today with the ease of, you know, watching people or listening to them, you know, playing these scenarios, you know, any scenarios, is a it's a great way to not only just enjoy listening to somebody playing the scenario, but obviously if you're intending to run it yourself getting to see another group, how they, how they tackled it, the kind of things that they did to kind of, you know, did they go off script in terms of, you know, what the scenario was, you know, and how another group and Keeper handles it. It's all good kind of, you know, background material to kind of make a few notes from. So it's um, the fact that these scenarios are already out there in the world, in that sense, it, there's, as Scott says, there's a, there's a kind of a, a wealth of kind of, pre-existing plays uh to to draw upon and take inspiration from so that's that's you know that's a that's a bonus really in in a sense isn't it
2: and i think anybody who's considering getting the book i think it's it's worth bearing in mind that you're getting like six ready to run scenarios with you know everything you need to to run them is is like there, including the the investigator sheets and handouts and everything and also it's going to give you the opportunity to dip your toe into different time periods for call of cthulhu you know there's gaslight there's 20s there's modern day so um without the commitment of, of launching in and running a whole campaign in that period you can just you know run a one shot in those different periods and there's support in the text you know to enable you to do that um so uh yeah i think that's another feature
4: and hopefully, I think on a, on a personal level as well, I hope it inspires other people to say that they're not constrained by just the monsters in the core book or the Mars Monstorum. Mm. They can create their own things because the mythos is wider than just what's presented in those pages. It's an infinitely vast and horrible place. And by all means, add to it. Create more horror.
0: <laughs> so um, anyone that enjoys these adventures and want to follow more of your works, um... Where, where, what else have you written in uh, cthulhu or for any RPG um, that you would recommend?
1: Well, the three of us collaborated uh, on a Pulp Cthulhu campaign called The Two-Headed Serpent, which we co-wrote between the three of us, which came out a few years back, um, which has been, I think, fairly well received. Um, both, Again, both Matt and I have run that for different actual play podcasts. Uh, so if you want to listen to that, you can you can do so. Um, and we obviously do the podcast together. We do a fanzine that ties in with the podcast for our Patreon backers that we put out every six months that includes Call of Cthulhu scenarios licensed by Chaosium. And so, you know, we collaborate on that on a pretty much an ongoing basis. And you can see... Um all three of these chaps work across
3: uh, a lot of the Call of Cthulhu line. I mean, Scott's got a scenario in the Keeper Screen Pack, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, Blackwater Creek. Um, yep. And Matt's got a scenario in the actual Call Keeper rulebook for 7th edition amidst these ancient trees. And Paul obviously co-wrote the 7th edition with me. So uh, there's a lot of Paul's work in the, in throughout the books as well. Um, and, um, and as Scott said, Tyred is Serpent particularly. And also... Um, Paul and Scott both um, contributed to the new edition of masks of Nyarlathotep as well the, the big kind of campaign for Call of Cthulhu um, so their their fingerprints are in that and just just thinking not to leave Matt out again is the the um, Deadlight, another um, I can't think of the full name of the book, another Dark Turns uh, Matt's Scenarios, the Saturnine Chalice um, is in that uh, kind of duo companion book uh, and again is uh, has been very well received so um there's plenty of other work from these chaps uh out out in the world already to uh to go and look up if you uh you know if you enjoy what you find in nameless horrors or you've enjoyed what playing what they've uh, written already then nameless horrors is obviously something to to look at as well hmm.
0: all right uh excellent uh, again this will be out in march 2023 Nameless Horrors, Six Scenarios. Um, We'll put a link once it's available in the description below. Um, So one last question to to end this off. uh, A fun question, I hope. Um, What is currently your favorite either horror movie or horror book that you're enjoying right now?
2: Okay, well, I'll jump in. Uh, (laughs) In fact, we've got a forthcoming episode. Uh, the, The film I've enjoyed most this year is probably Barbarian. Uh, and we've got a um, episode coming up on that. Uh, I'm not sure when that comes out. I think
0: probably in March.
2: Um, so yeah, where we discuss that one.
0: But when you say discussing, I talk about your podcast or?
2: Yeah, sorry on on our podcast. Yeah, the one uh, Good Friends Jacksonized Jackson that Scott, Matt, and I produce.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, book wise, um, I, I've recently started reading some of T. Kingfish's horror novels. Uh I've only read two of them so far, but she's done this kind of weird I uh, sort of thematic cycle where she takes classic weird tales and then does sort of want reimaginings of them. And she's done this with Arthur Macon's The White People and uh Poe's The Fall of the House of Usher and uh, Blackwood's uh The Willows. And yeah, what I've read of her stuff so far is yeah, it's it's imaginative, it's weird and it's very, very different from the source mystery. I, I I think I rather like it.
3: I was going to just throw in, I've, uh, I've just finished, um, it's actually a reread of a book I read many, many, many years ago, uh, a bit of a classic, uh, Ray Bradbury's Something Wicked This Way Comes, Oh yeah. Uh, which uh, if you uh, haven't read, I do recommend as a
0: classic Bradbury book.
4: Rabbit headlights from me. I haven't been able to read or watch anything for a long time because I don't have the time.
0: (laughs) Right. Excellent. Uh, Again, thank you, everyone, for being a part of this Uh, and viewers. Again, I'll put the link in the description below. Um, Take care, everyone. Um, Be safe out there.